Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll come to this uh, passage in a few moments and look at several passages today, but um, we'll begin there in Hebrews, chapter 10. Let's pray together. Father, we are blessed uh, to be your children. And just to sing that line, Thou who changes not, abide with me. We we change daily, we waver on things, our 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 trust in you is often shaken, uh, but you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in you we put our confidence, not in our own abilities or virtues for salvation, but uh, your dependability, your promise, and the finished work of Christ. And so, uh, Lord, our hearts are comforted, uh, our hearts are encouraged by gathering this morning and singing praise to you and be reminding of these truths of your perfect character and your dependability. So thank you, Lord, for being a good God. And help us now in this time as we... um, tease out some of these implications of, of the passages we've been studying, and may you encourage our hearts and strengthen us in our faith this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so from time to time, um, it will be necessary for parents to have um, just parent-child talks with their, with their children. Um, you know, I dreaded those words, and my dad would say, you know, son, we need, to, we need to talk, and he would usually save them for those circumstances when we were on the golf course together, because then he could get in my head uh, and then, you know, defeat me on the, on the golf course, and so I've, I've since, um, since been able to move on beyond those things, because now as a 42-year-old, if he says we need to talk, it's just not as intimidating as if you're 17 or 18 or something like that, but... Uh, just recently, uh, I was sitting in my car this past Wednesday waiting for uh, my daughter to finish her violin lesson, and I, I heard the, overheard this conversation of a father-son talk taking place. It was about a homework assignment, and the dad asked, uh, son, did you not do it, or did you really not receive it? Because I'm going to email the administrator. And I, having been a teenager myself at one point, I'm like, come on, man, just tell the truth, because you don't want this to go to the administrator, you know, and... Uh, he didn't choose the right choice and then ended up in an argument with the, the dad and the son. And I awkwardly was sitting there with my window rolled down and uh, listening to this. And um, anyway, so uh, I, I say all that to say that this is um, our final uh, sermon in this series on church membership and, and the meaning of, of church membership. A, a series that I know some of you thought was never going to end. All right. But today, today is the day, uh, Lord willing. And I say all that as an introduction because it's, it's hard to call this morning's sermon a sermon. Uh, this is going to be more of a family chat. Um, it's going to be a, a practical conclusion of, of everything we've considered over the last couple of months. And so we're not going to unpack one passage and we're going to just... Uh, really try to get practical about the things that we've, uh, we've considered. And so um, 
In the weeks to come, we'll move on from the series and we'll get back into the text of Scripture. But hopefully this morning, what I say and the implications I draw out are indeed from Scripture and have their base in Scripture. And, um, but I just want to clarify that up front, that this will be a completely different sermon than, than I normally, uh, normally preach. So we're going to look at the duties of membership. All right, so we've looked at a lot of different topics, but these are the duties of, of membership. So as a member, what should I be doing? What are my responsibilities as a member in a local church? But uh, before we get there, let's consider where we've been in this series. We began by asking the question, is church membership in the Bible? And we, uh, we, we stated that's the most important question because, after all, the Bible is our, our authority for life and godliness, and if membership is in the Bible, then the only right response is to become a member of a local church. And so in asking this question, is membership in the Bible, uh, we considered a number of different passages, and here's what we concluded. That a formal relationship existed between a church and an individual Christian, and both the church and the Christian were aware of this relationship and the responsibilities that came with it. And so whether you want to call it membership or whether you want to call it partnership or whether you want to give it some other title, the truth stands that this formal relationship existed in the New Testament church and that the church and the individuals knew who was in and who was out of their individual local churches. Now once we uh, established that church membership is a biblical concept, we moved toward defining it. And here's the definition that we gave. We said that church membership is a formal relationship, or sometimes we use the word covenant, between a particular church and a Christian that consists of three things. The first thing that it consists of is the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel profession. So when a church brings someone into their membership, they are saying, as far as we can tell, uh, based on your profession of faith and, and your obedient walk, uh, that we recognize you as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. So that's the first aspect of this relationship. The second aspect of the relationship is the church promises to give oversight to the, to the, to the Christian's life of discipleship. And so the church promises to, to invest in and, and oversee and watch out for every member until, as Ephesians 4 says, we attain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and each member is to watch out for, for, for the other members to, to, to hold them accountable and, and build them up in the faith. The third aspect of this relationship or this formal relationship or covenant is the Christian's promise to regularly assemble with and submit to the church. And what we noted is that's really just the flip side of number two. Number two, the church promises to oversee the life of discipleship of the Christian. And then on the flip side of that, the Christian promises to bring themselves underneath the care of the church and submit to the care of the church. And, and the primary way that they do this, so that we do this as members, is we attend regularly and gather with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, once we finished unpacking that definition, we moved on to a number of different uh, topics that are related to church membership. Uh, we began by asking the question, what is a church? And the very basic meaning of the, church, the word church is assembly or it's a, it's a gathered people. But we noticed that in the New Testament, a church is more than just a gathering of believers. We went on to say that a local church is an assembly of baptized believers 
who gather regularly at stated times for the purpose of corporate worship, preaching, teaching, fellowship, prayer. They share a common faith. They're organized into the offices of overseer and deacon. They observe the two ordinances of baptism and communion, and then they carry out the great commission of making and maturing disciples. And we, 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 we unpack that definition in some detail, but that's just to refresh your minds of, of what we consider there. We moved on to ask this question, who runs the church? And in answering the question, we noted that a local church should be congregationally governed, pastor-led, and deacon-served with each group of individuals fulfilling their role with godliness and humility. From there, we moved on to ask the question, well, how does church discipline relate to uh, this idea of church membership? And, and really, in answering that question, we noted this, that since a, a congregation is to be governed by its, its people, then it is crucial that the church maintain a pure membership because the church weighs in on, on important decisions. And so what church membership is, or excuse me, what church discipline is, is it is the vehicle by which the church maintains a pure congregation so that it can be, it can be led and directed in, in the right direction. And we also considered, and I'll just finish with this for our review, we asked this question, what is the mission of the church? And we noticed that the mission is summed up in the Great Commission, that we are to make and mature disciples, and we added acts into this in and through the local church. Okay, and so that's our, that's our mission as believers. So each one of these topics uh, that we considered in this sermon series is important for having a biblical understanding of church discipline. And so I might, Lord willing, um, your understanding and, and conviction about church membership has been shaped and, and, and uh, encouraged by this, by this series. Now, in preaching this series, a few things have been happening. Uh, number one... Uh, I have been using this as an opportunity to rewrite the membership booklet that new members take in the new members class. That's the least important thing that has been happening in this, uh, in this series, okay? Uh, secondly, what's been happening is that as I've been studying and preparing these things, they have been, uh, I've been cementing them in my own mind. In other words, there, a lot of these things are things that I've already believed, but when you get a chance to really go into depth and study and consider these things, um, I, I've, I've walked away just even more firmly convinced uh, of some of the things that we have, uh, we've been considering. The third thing that's been happening, and Lord willing, uh, what's been taking place, is that I've been cementing in our own church here a, a stronger view of membership. It seems like our view of membership got a little bit shaky uh, during the COVID years. And so, Lord willing, this return to the basics has been a timely and helpful reminder of what we're to be and do as a local church. And lastly, I think this series has exposed, at least in my thinking, some areas where we need to improve as a church. Uh, so, it may, Lord willing, hopefully it's set the table for some changes moving forward, uh, some smaller changes, others larger, but my prayer is that this series lays the foundation uh, for, for uh, changes to the way we conduct our business as a church family. I know when people hear the word change, they automatically get nervous, but I mean, I'm thinking like structural things that are, that are really key to, to building a foundation for having a healthy, healthy membership and, and, and organize and run ourselves in a, in a healthy and more efficient way. So, so Lord willing, this series is, is beneficial for the, for the months and years to, to come. 
Now, this morning, we are considering the duties of membership. The duties, as I said, this will be a practical uh, sort of tying everything together of the different passages we've considered uh, so far. And our goal is to, this morning, apply what we've learned in, uh, in, our, in our series. Now, typically, the duties of and expectations of, of church membership are laid out in a church covenant. And we have a church covenant, and we try to keep the covenant before you at every congregational meeting so that we're, you're reminded of the responsibilities that we have. But a lot of the things that you'll find that we study this morning are already stated in our church covenant as duties and responsibilities that we have and as promises that we've made as members of the local church to one another. So I'm going to highlight nine duties of membership this morning. All right, so you got the nine marks of a healthy church, and now we got the nine duties of, uh, of membership in, uh, in a local church. I'm going to spend more time on some than others, and I'll reference one passage for each one of these in support of it, although there are other passages that could be, that could be, um, could be mentioned. Let's begin with duty number one. Duty number one is regular attendance. Oh, Pastor, we knew you would start there. All right, so... Let's start with duty number one, regular attendance. And to, to emphasize the importance of regular attendance, we're returning here to Hebrews chapter 10, which is a passage we've already considered. And the specific phrase you want to consider is in verse 25, where, where the author of Hebrews encourages his readers not to forsake the regular gatherings of assembling together. But before considering this particular phrase, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of what these believers were facing because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So look down to verses 32 and 36, and, and you see, um, you see uh, just a glimpse of what they were facing. The author of Hebrews says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened or came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, probably for the sake of the gospel, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, this passage is helpful because it tells us that because of their faith in Christ, these believers were facing public humiliation and affliction. They were facing mistreatment. Either themselves or close friends of theirs were being afflicted because of uh, because of their faith in Christ, and they were identifying with some of their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in prison, and, and in doing so, having their own possessions plundered because of identifying with criminals uh, for the cause of Christ. Now, just put yourself in the shoes of these individuals. If this was you and me, and we're facing these afflictions for our faith in Christ, what would the temptation be? I think the temptation would be to abandon this newfound faith, or at least shrink back or try our best to keep it private so that we could maintain a, an affliction-free life or, or ease up a little bit on the trials we're facing. Well, that's exactly the temptation that was being 
faced here by these believers. And so the author, in, in the, really the whole book of Hebrews, is, the theme would be, don't give in, Jesus is better. You know, stick to it, don't, don't, don't throw in the towel. But, but here in this section, if you go back to verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, stick to it, guys. Don't, don't give up. And then he writes this in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, if you put verse 23 and verse 24 together, you have something like this, that, that one of the means by which believers hold fast their confession is through the encouragement of fellow believers. Okay, so you hold on, guys, he's saying. And one of the means by which you hold on is, is the encouragement of other brothers and sisters in Christ. This idea is echoed in Hebrews chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. But you remember he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And he says this, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, one of the means by which we remain faithful to Christ is the mutual encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. But notice he doesn't stop in verse 24. He goes on to show what I'll call the primary context in which this mutual encouragement is to take place. And that is in the regular gathering of the brothers and sisters of Christ for the worship of the Lord. So notice verse 25. He says in verse 24, consider how to stir one another up, and then here's how you, here's how you don't do it. You don't neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, but you encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the context in which this encouragement takes place is in the regular gathering. And sadly, some in this congregation were forsaking the regular gathering. And in doing so, they were forsaking both the Lord and their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is the context behind Hebrews chapter 10, and, and the instructions that we find here to assemble regularly. Now, let's get practical, okay? So this is the first duty of, of church membership, is the, the duty to assemble regularly. So if I can, let me make some practical observations. Again, these are more family chat style rather than sermon style, okay? So, um, first of all, observation number one, Regular attendance is the easiest and most basic duty of church membership. Okay, it's the, it's the easiest and most basic duty of church membership. As we move on to other duties, like serving one another and like preserving the unity, I think we're going to see that just attending is the easiest duty you can have. Right? All you have to do is show up. Right? That's, it's, it's that easy. You just have to show up, and that's the duty. It, it, it only gets harder from there. Membership only gets harder from there. I'm reminded of uh, what Mark Dever says about baptism. He says, the command to get wet is the easiest command of Jesus Christ, and it only gets harder from there. Right? Membership or, or attendance is, is, is like that. And at the same time, regular gathering is the duty from which the other duties flow. Okay, so regular attendance is, it's, it's how you're known, it's how you're cared for by your pastors and your fellow members, 
It's how you are fed the word. It's how you stay connected to the body. And if you fail to attend, then all the other duties become extremely difficult to, to, to play out in the rest of your Christian life. Okay? So it's the easiest and most basic duty of, church mem- of, 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 of being a member. Okay? Secondly, second observation, it's one of the hardest duties of the membership duties. Okay? So how, how is that possible? It could be easy and hard at the same time. Well, on the one hand, it's the easiest duties. But on the other hand, it's hard to stay motivated. It's hard to stick to it. It's hard to continually show up. And I think one of the reasons is that is, is because we don't always see the immediate benefit of gathering. Right? So it's a, it's a lot like working out. You, you go to the gym. You walk out sore. You don't see the effects. And it's like, oh, man, I just don't think I'm interested in keeping up and maintaining this kind of lifestyle. But if you go consistently... Over a period of time, you start to see the results and the benefits of, of, of doing that. And the same is true for regular attendance. The impact is not felt over a matter of weeks. The impact is felt over a matter of years and over a matter of decades of faithfully gathering with God's people. Now, along these lines, I like what one of my professors had to say. Uh, and he said it in a sermon here uh, one time, and it was about this idea of, of staying motivated in, in attending uh, regularly the, the local church. And it, I th- he's an older man. I thought this was helpful because even as a seminary professor with a PhD in New Testament, he acknowledged that sometimes he has a hard time showing up at church on Sundays. And here's what he said. When I lack the motivation to gather with the church, I tell myself that I need it. But then he went on to say this. And when that doesn't work, I tell myself that my sons need it, and so I make it a priority to be there. Along these lines, Kevin DeYoung wrote something different. I think he wrote it in the book, The Whole in Our Holiness, but the quote just stood out to me. He says this, The man who does not faithfully attend church shoots his son in the foot and shoots his grandson in the heart. It's that important that we gather regularly. Third observation is when you fail to regularly gather with the church, you not only rob yourself of a blessing, but you rob someone else of a blessing as well, right? When we gather, there is to be a mutual building up, and, and you are both giving and receiving when you gather. And I would add, when you fail to gather, you discourage your pastor's by your non-attendance. So nothing's more encouraging than members who are just there. They are just present all the time. And few things are more discouraging than members who are hit and miss in their attendance. Now, let's consider this question, how regular is regular? All right, so that's like, okay, well, yeah. So, I mean, I'm pastor, I'm here once a month. I mean, how much more regular could I, could I get, right? Okay, so how regular is regular? Well, I think one of the things that's helpful to recognize is that when people become members of our church, they are coming from a, a, a vast different, uh, a vastly different backgrounds, okay? So, so some come from no church background. They, they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's like, well, we don't even know what the expectations are, you know? And so there's really no, it's sort of a blank slate in that regard. Others come from a background where they attended Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, 
some sort of other activity during the week, and that's their idea of what regular attendance looks like in the local church. And others come from a place where regular attendance means I go Sunday morning and I go to a small group, and that's pretty much my regular attendance in the, in the local church. And this was actually made clear to me by, by a comment a visitor made one time, standing, uh, talking to somebody. I overheard someone say, now, what's the service tonight at 6 o'clock? Is it the same service that happened uh, this morning? And one of member was like, well, yeah, it's the same. I mean, it, it's the same, but it's, it's not the same. You know, because, like, the confusion was, like, well, is it, you know, sometimes they offer a Saturday night service for people that can't be there on Sunday. Is the Sunday evening service for those who can't be there Sunday morning? And it was, like, confusion because it, and it clued me into this reality that people's expectations and understandings of what, of what we're doing, especially here, can be, uh, can be misunderstood or people might not have an idea. And so people come from different backgrounds, and so we need to kind of understand uh, and tease this out what, what regular attendance looks like. Okay, one of the things you learn when you get married is that the way your family does things is not necessarily the way everyone else's family does things. And I've been trying to teach my wife this for, for, for many, many years, right? Um, so when you marry into a family, like you have a way of doing things and they have a way of doing things and uh, your spouse's family has a way of doing things, and the longer you're married, sometimes the more evident this becomes in your marriage relationship. But to make things work, you have to adjust your expectations. It's not necessarily that the way they do things is wrong or the way you do things is right, but, but it's just that, that, that things are, are different. So when I was growing up, we uh, would occasionally have waffles uh, for dinner. Uh, but we had a rule in our house. My mom would make chicken gravy, this not very appealing thing in a pan. And the rule was you have to have a chicken gravy waffle, I guess that was more healthy, before you have three or four with syrup, right? And so um, that was just the rule. You know, I, I guess it was healthier. I don't, I don't know. Looking back, it doesn't seem like it. But anyway, so my brother, his his wife comes into the family and... I wasn't there for this, but they had a gathering, and they had waffles for dinner, and she saw the chicken gravy and was like, no, I'm not, I'm not eating that. And my sister's like, no, but it's the rule. You have to have one of these before you have service. She's like, I'm not doing it. And I, I wasn't there, but I think it was even like a minor conflict uh, because she didn't adopt the way she did, the way she did things to the way that we do things, right? So this happens in, 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 in joining a family. And this is how it is when you become a member of a local church, right? That church does things a certain way. And so it's, it's, it's important that members adjust their expectations to the way that, you know, our church does church, is what it means to join a family. So at, at Maranatha, we have a number of gatherings through the week. We have Sunday school, adult Bible fellowship. We have our worship service. We have our evening gatherings. We have our Wednesday night gatherings. And we understand that those gatherings are asking a lot of our members, but every gathering is a connection point, right? The relationships are just getting a little bit deeper every time we gather. And the more gatherings you attend, the more connected you will be. And what I've noticed over the years is that, that, that those who are infrequent in their attendance in the gatherings have a hard time connecting with the life of the body. And at some point, it's like, well, if you only attend Sunday morning, 
we're probably going to be having a conversation sometime down the road about how you're not really connected with the life of the body. So let's just make this clear right now, right? Attending only on Sunday morning is, is really not enough for you to be a connected part of the body of Christ. If Sunday morning was all that was needed, that was all, that's all that we would offer then. But it's not. You and I need more than that. And I think the Sunday morning, I like to think of it like this way, Sunday morning is being mandatory and Sunday evening being like almost mandatory, all right, in, our, in terms of our gathering. This is how important it is for us to, to be together. Now you're like, man, that's, that's really, you're really saying a lot there. Uh, well, I think Pastor Mike helpfully illustrates this idea when he says um, being part of a sports team is a similar concept, but it's, it's something we think very differently about, right? So people don't think twice about gathering with their sports team three and four times a week for practice and games. And if you don't attend, you're not looked at as a contributing member of your sports team. And, and, and this is just accepted. In, in the sports world, it's incredibly normal that you're there and present uh, at, these, at these things. And, and so the expectation is placed on you, and no one thinks twice about these expectations. But for some reason, we think about church membership differently. Oh, man, like more than one time a week? Are you, are you serious? That, like it's bordering on legalism, all right? But I think we would agree that, that being a member of a local church is a thousand times more important than playing on a sports team. And so hopefully what this study has done for us is it has given us a more robust understanding of the importance of regularly gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ. And my prayer is that that has strengthened your view as well. Okay, that's duty number one. The the rest will be a lot quicker uh, after that. But here's duty number two, and this is where you're probably like, man, this is getting really interesting. Uh, Duty number two, members are responsible to attend members' meetings. So you're thinking, okay, well, show me a verse that, that tells me that I'm supposed to come to membership meetings. Well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 6. You know this passage well, and we have referenced it n- numerous times in, our, in this series on church membership. And we won't spend any time unpacking this passage, but just to highlight a couple things, okay? You remember there was a problem. Some of the widows were being neglected in their daily distribution of food, and it was threatening the unity of the church. That's why it was such a big deal. But what I want you to notice is how the church went about solving this problem of their widows being neglected. So look at verse 2. It says this, And the twelve summoned the full number of, of disciples. Then look at verse 3. The solution here, therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Okay, so there was an issue in the church, and they needed to solve this issue, and the manner in which they solved it was to gather the, the whole number of disciples, in other words, the, the members of the church. When they needed to conduct the business of the church, they gathered everybody there. 
and they, the church weighed in on these matters that impacted their ability to be a faithful gospel witness. So when the church needed to conduct its business, it, it gathered the saints together. Now, we have already argued in, in our series that the Lord has given the congregation a certain authority to protect its, its witness as a, as a, as a or protect its, its body of, to be a faithful gospel witness. So in doing so, they select their leaders, they protect the gospel, they weigh in on other matters that impact their ability to be a faithful gospel witness. And the time when, when, when they make these decisions and, and weigh in and use their authority is in member meetings. That this is one of the places where the church acts as the church when they gather together to, to bring members in, to discipline members, to, to vote on other aspects that impact their ability to, to serve Christ. And so it's not just a time to go over a budget or work through a budget meeting, but this is a time for the church to use her God-given authority in exercising the keys of the kingdom, as we see in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And so what we should be convinced of, just looking at Acts chapter 6 and looking at the way that Christ has given the church his authority, is that we should prioritize our member meetings. Okay, we have five a year, two on Sunday nights, three on Sunday mornings during the combined ABF, and those are a time for you as a body to stay updated on what's taking place and to weigh in on, what's, uh, on the decisions that are made as a church. So duty number two is to faithfully attend membership meetings. Okay, now let's move on to duty number three. Okay, your duty as a member, number three, is to protect the gospel. Okay, to protect the gospel. So turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and begin in verse 6. So this letter is written shortly after the Apostle Paul has and Barnabas had planted these churches in their first missionary journey. And then false teaching has crept in almost immediately. And so then in verse 6 he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning, into, or turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there is but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the church here, well, I'm going to say it this way. I think we ask the question, who has the responsibility in this passage to remove false teachers uh, from among the church and, and protect the church. Well, we might think that this is a duty for the pastors, and it, it is a duty for the pastors, but, but notice to whom Paul is writing. If you go back to verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and to the brothers who are with me. And he says this, to the churches of Galatia. So he's writing to all the believers that they have the responsibility to identify and remove those who are preaching another gospel. 
So this is one of your responsibilities as a member of a local church. Number one, you're to, you're to know the gospel, know the truth well enough to identify error when it's being taught or preached in, in classrooms or from the pulpit. Right? So every member needs to be built up in the truth and to be able to recognize when false teaching is happening. And then it's the church's responsibility to remove men who are not teaching and preaching the truth. Right? So it's, it's your job, in other words, to hold what's being said at this pulpit, to hold that accountable and to remove me or, or anyone who is not faithfully teaching and preaching the Word of God, right? It's not just, you know, the deacon's job or maybe the assistant pastor's job. No, it's, it's everyone's job to know the gospel and to hold accountable those who teach and preach the gospel. Let's move on to duty number four. Duty number four is in membership, we are to, members are to help define the membership, they are to help define the membership. So turn over just to, turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Don't get tired, all right? So keep, keep turning, stay with me, uh, and, and stay in these, uh, because we need to see where these passages, or where these, where these truths are, are coming from in Scripture. Okay, so uh, help define the membership. Well, what does, what does that mean? Well, when we bring someone into membership, the church is putting their stamp of approval on the member coming in. Okay, they're saying we recognize you as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. We add you into our membership. Likewise, when we remove someone from membership through the process of church discipline, we are saying, you know, based on the way you're living, based on maybe the lack of clarity on your profession of faith, we can no longer vouch for your profession of faith. So this responsibility that the church has to define who's in and who is out of the membership. Now, I want you to see this in the passage of Scripture here. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5, right? So this is the passage, 1 Corinthians 5, where the, where the, where the man is, is, in, is in immorality, and even the Gentiles know about it and don't approve of this thing. And here's what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so notice again, it's, it's not a task of the leadership to do this. It's not just, well, the elders discipline him. But no, he says, when you are assembled, when you gather to conduct the business of the church as, as the members of the church, you are to remove this man, set him outside, deliver him over to Satan, and Lord willing that he would repent and his soul be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so this is the responsibility that, that all of us have to identify who's in and who's out and to help carefully define the membership. Now, let me just add one note to this. I would also add that when the church makes a decision to discipline someone from its membership, that it's the responsibility of the rest of the members to honor that decision and to not associate with the disciplined sinner in a way that says your unrepentance is no big deal. But rather, when discipline happens and someone's removed, it's our responsibility as a membership to honor that decision and to deal with that person only in a way that calls them back to repentance and, and faith. 
Okay? But this is a duty that is, that is given to all of us as a, as a group of members. All right, duty number five. Duty number five. We are to serve one another. We are to serve one another. So turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage we, we memorized uh, earlier this year. So I know you probably all can still say it from memory. Uh, but look at verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom, listen to this, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so notice this passage. He begins in verse 11. He says that the, the Lord gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay? And, and their responsibility was to equip the saints so that the saints did the work of the ministry. Okay? So, so as a member of the local church, you have a responsibility to, to do the work of the ministry. But then you ask the question, well, what is the work of the ministry? We tend to think of it as just like a job as an usher or someone who takes out the trash, and and those are good things. But notice what the the work of the ministry is in this passage. It's building one another up to the maturity of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what we notice in this passage is, as we continue, that that everyone is gifted for this. Like the body, he says in verse 16, has been put together with with a level of intent, each part serving as it should to make the whole body grow and build itself up in love. Okay, so so every member is gifted to build up this body. And what building up the body means is is pushing and prodding one another to to Christ-likeness so that we're all growing in our faith. Okay, now two things to notice about this is that the sphere in which this happens is with this group of people. Or there's a priority on this group of people. In other words, yeah, we can build up other believers out there somewhere in the workplace, things like that. But there's a specific responsibility that we have as members to one another. Okay, that this is the, as you think about ministry opportunities, you look around the room and it's this group of people to whom you are, to whom you are responsible. Okay? So that's the first thing. The sphere is, is your fellow members here. And then notice that, that the ministry is, is really not emphasizing jobs here, but it's emphasizing people. So when we think about ministry and, and service, we want to think about it in terms of building up the people that are here with us. All right, duty number six. Duty number six, and you can stay right there in Ephesians chapter four. Members have the duty to protect the unity of the church. Members have the duty to protect the unity of the church. The unity of the body is an extremely fragile thing. 
right? It's like carrying some precious piece of glass or vase that at any time can easily slip, you can easily trip and, and shatter this thing, okay? The smallest issue in our interpersonal relationships can quickly become a big issue. So just one small issue in the nursery about a disagreement about, about you know, something to do with, with, a, with a child can easily turn into some sort of point of division. Or some decision by the leadership that's not really appreciated can easily turn into an opportunity for divisiveness among the body. And when we don't take our duty to protect the unity seriously, then what happens is, is Satan gets a foot in the door and he's able to hinder the ministry through divisiveness within, right? So you're there in Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul says these words. Like Right after the doctrinal section of the letter, he begins with these practical implications. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And listen to this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and then he says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, it's something that takes a, a, an intent, a certain level of focus that, that we're to be eager about this. And the means by which we do it, it backs up to verse 2, we do it with humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. And if you were to skip down to verse 26, you see, as I said, the reason why this is so important, because in verse 26 he says that we're not to give an opportunity to the devil. That if he easily gets his foot in the door through maybe a poor response on our part, or maybe the way we've talked about another member to, to, a, to a different member, that, that divisiveness can easily creep in. So I want us to think about, as members of the local church, as one of our duties, being, being really, really careful about the, the unity of the church and not wanting to do anything that would disrupt the, the fellowship here and cause sin to win the day and us to be distracted from our mission. Okay, duty number seven. We're to share the gospel. Okay, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, the end of the passage there in verses 19 and following, he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. So we are to be in the business of making disciples. But remember what we said, that how did the disciples put this into practice? Right, this is what Jesus told them on the mountain. Uh, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them all that I've commanded you. Well, what happened next? Well, they did this, and then they established local churches. But I want to emphasize this. The context of our evangelism should be the, the local church. What I mean by that is this. As we're seeking to be faithful evangelists individually, one of the things that can help us in our evangelism is to include our brothers and sisters here at church in our evangelism. So you invite someone over to your house who is an unbeliever, maybe to have some sort of uh, cookout or something, and then along those lines, you invite another member of the local church. 
to rub shoulders with them and to help share in your, in your duty of evangelism. And then as a, as, a, as a corporate body, we together see this as our opportunity, right? So someone invites us over and they've got an unbelieving friend. Hey, we run to that opportunity and we seek to share Christ with them. Or uh, someone visits the church. Well, it's not just the pastor's job to, to see where that person stands in relationship to Christ. It's all of our job to take that low-hanging fruit and to see where they stand in relationship to Christ. So we have this evangelistic mentality, but not just individually, but it's our job corporately in the local church to encourage this kind of evangelism, where every member sees it as their particular role. Okay, duty number eight. We're getting close. My favorite duty, submit to the leadership of the church. Okay, I, I kid. All right. So it is. That's the duty. It's not my favorite, though. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We've, we've uh, worked through this already, but I'll just highlight this, this passage. Obey your leaders, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we've already talked in this series about how the Lord has given um, godly men to lead over the congregation, to minister the word, to shepherd the flock. And the, the church's responsibility is to, to recognize that leadership and to allow those men to minister to them, to build them up in the faith. And it's interesting what Paul says here. He says in the last, or not Paul, the author of Hebrews says in verse 17, the last phrase, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say that that, that their leaders should lead in a way that they have joy. He puts the onus on the congregation that you're to, to, to submit in such a way and follow in such a way that you make your pastor's job a joy. So are you a, joyful, are, you a, are you a joyful member who makes your pastor's job a joy? Okay, And then that's, that's how we want to think about submission to our, our leadership, that allow these men to do their work and to allow them to serve with joy. Now lastly, number nine, one of the duties of membership is to give generously. Okay, to give generously. As I look at the New Testament, I, I see three areas in which the church is instructed to give. Uh, they're instructed to free up pastors to minister the word and shepherd. Okay? So they're, to, they're to, to support pastoral ministry. They're to support missionaries. And then thirdly, they're to support needy believers. Okay? So others in their congregations that, that have a financial need or other congregations that may have a financial need. And members have the responsibility to, to give in this way. The priority of our giving should be the local church. Now, now, why do I say that? Well, because, number one, the local church is what teaches and feeds you. Okay, so when you give to your local church, you are enabling yourself in a better way to be fed and, and shepherded. Okay, number two, the the giving to the local church, we give to the local church because it ultimately prevails. Right? Remember what Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
In other words, we're given to the one place that the Lord promises to do his work, and that is the church. And so it is the, it is the responsibility of members to give to the church and, and, and because it, it ultimately prevails. Number three, giving to the church is wise. In the local church, you have godly men who serve over the budget, who serve over the deacon's fund, who, with, with as much wisdom and care as they can, attempt to use our resources in a way that honors the Lord and serves the body of Christ. Sometimes you give to charities, you have no idea where it's going or how it's being used. But in, in the case of the local church, you're giving to godly men who are making decisions about these things, and often you're involved in those decisions. And it's, it's wisdom that dictates where those monies go. Now, the, the principles are, are laid out for us for giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll just read this quickly for time's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says in verses 6 and 7, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And so as members of the local church, we should be thinking about how can I invest my time and my resources in the gospel work here? All right, so we made it. All right, through all nine duties of membership. And we've made it through this particular series. And as I said, this sermon this morning is really just a, a, a fleshing out of the application of, of this series that we've, that we've been in. Now, Lord willing, and it's our prayer as the pastoral team, that this series has served us well. So that we don't have a casual attitude about church membership but that we take our responsibility before the Lord and to one another seriously, that we faithfully attend, that we faithfully serve, that we protect the unity, that we submit, that we give, and that we honor Christ in all that we do. So may God help us in this endeavor. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and how it instructs us and guides us. And my prayer is that what was said this morning would, would be true and right and, and helpful for our church family. And that through the the scriptures and what we've unpacked, that you would shape our culture uh, to continue to be a a people who care for one another and invest in in eternity and seek to build up one another in the body of Christ. So help us, Lord, to have our view of church membership strengthened through our study. And may you give us a healthy community that serves you for years to come. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.